Welcome to this Convincing Matters chat, which is November, December 2022 news. Welcome to Convincing Matters with Lorraine and Stu. Join us for a chat about all things property. So, Stu, hello. The uh, the final Convincing Matters news chat of 2022 is here already. Hello. Can you believe it? The year's gone so quick, hasn't it? I know. I do think they go they, they go more quickly as you get older, mate, I have to no, say. It's cliche, but so true, isn't it? It slightly is. But as I think we will all be sort of um, at the end of December, we may well just be all sort of sitting, having, you know, engorged ourselves on, well, probably chicken and uh, and fixing blankets and, you know, um, and nut roast. Uh, it seemed like a good idea just to sort of roll up November and December news. And I think there are some, uh, you know, some important points for conferences to make and remember you know, for, for those that subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, what Stu and I try to do when we do these chats, particularly on the news, is to talk about things, don't we, Stu, that are of particular relevance to conveyances yeah. now. So it's yeah, not things that are going to exactly. The day-to-day conveyances that are working on their files, you know, how it affects them. Yeah. So, Stu, you might want to um, kick off with um, with uh, the sanctions comments. We've obviously done a chat on sanctions. which We have. We have. put another little link to, um, but... Uh, what, uh, what have the SRA been saying? Yeah, it was the, the SRA's guidance on complying with sanctions. And I suppose in a nutshell, to sum it up, it's, you know, the fact that you can't, I think they use the word, outsource um, the liability for complying with those uh, to all these different platforms that, that, you know, enable you to automatically check um, people's ID and AML. And I think it's a really important point, isn't it, that, you know, we are kind of trying to automate everything these days and sort of knowing your client you know, I haven't heard people sort of use that term KYC um no. and and you know client profiling is the term that we use I just think it's so 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 important to sort of you know but hopefully you know put a stop to fraud um when you're looking at a transaction the risk that you're you're going to undertake unless you've profiled your client um which involves you know looking through their bank statements talking to them of course um taking that initial instruction um it's impossible really to have a proper handle on on whom you're dealing with and you know as the sri have said in this guidance you know simply relying on electronic checks for one of the word um is not enough no absolutely and i mean what and again i think this is useful for clc regulated firms as well so not just um sra regulated firms um, and if anybody's interested, it's guidance that the SRA put out uh, on the 28th of November, if anybody wants to go and look for it. But what they also have pointed out is the differences between um, f- how firms carry out um, sanctions compliance and how firms carry out AML compliance, because there are differences. So just because you're ticking all the sort of AML compliance boxes, that does not mean that a firm is going to be ticking the sanctions compliance boxes as well. They are subtly different. Um, and yeah, I mean, certainly something I've sort of banged on about for quite a long time, Stu, in other training is, um, you know, the, the LSAG guidance, the Legal Sector Affinity Group guidance on the, uh, you know, on the money laundering regs. Um, they said sort of buried in it somewhere when they were talking about electronic and ID, uh, electronic um, ID and verification. You know, clearly massively excellent tools, don't get me wrong. But they sort of said, you know, everything is susceptible to human error. You know, you might have a bit of kit, but you've still got, if somebody doesn't put the name in properly, which is very basic, very 
silly sounding, but actually is still, you know, mm-hmm. a huge risk. Um, and and what concerns me, and certainly it seems used to more generally, is that um, uh, firms might think that if they've got uh, some sort of, um, uh, you know, piece of electronic kit, which undoubtedly is, is, is helpful and provides support. Don't get me wrong. I'm not for one minute saying they're not worth having. They absolutely are. But they are they are not everything that that is not absolving the firm from responsibility to to, to do these checks and do them properly. But certainly if anybody's interested in the sort of um, sanctions and AML compliance, which, you know, um, people might be over Christmas when they've got nothing better to do, then uh, then having a look at that and making sure firms are going into 2023 with with the right processes in place um you know i think would be a good idea i I wonder lorraine is it time that we almost kind of separate this part of the process on a practical level that you now have your id checking and you have your aml it's almost like for me they need to align this with drawn down the middle here and we actually need to separate them but i think too often um i see and, and a bugbear in mind is that you know, we see these sort of electronic platforms and they actually use the term it's ID and AML check-in or ID and AML. And it's a bit like, well, actually, there's no AML whatsoever in there. Um, and even people or platforms that collate bank statements, well, that's not an AML check. You're not checked anything just because you've collected a bank statement. Um, you, you can't, you know, it's, it's a, a weird analogy that all of a sudden I've uploaded passport i've uploaded some bank statements all my checks are done i think we almost need to get to the point now where the the subject matter has become so big and such an important part of what we do that we almost need to drive a line down the middle here and say right we have our id checking which includes sanctions it includes peps you know merely finding that this person is who they say they are there are ids legit seeing them face to face whether that be via a video call whether it be via technology that does facial recognition and so on so forth you know that's that part of it's got bigger. You know, if you go back not that long ago, yeah. we merely wanted to know that the actual passport might be legit. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we didn't even bother. But, you know, even probably five years ago, it was more a case of checking that the ID might be legit. Now we've got to link the person to the ID. We've got perhaps we've got saying there's so much to it now, you know, even probably within the last five years that it's almost become a milestone, I think, on its own. Yeah. Then you're going into your AML and your money. Um, and that's another monster that we got to deal with because it's, you know, a client's going to be delivering money at different points of the transaction. Yeah. So yeah. You, you've got more than one um, time frame that you're looking at. And, you know, again, another bugbear is when people say, well, haven't you done all your AML checks? Well, yeah, I've done my initial AML checks, but, you know, I'm going to get money when I get my deposit. I'm going to get my balance of funds to complete. Well, I've still got to check where that money came from. You know, what happens if it's sent from a bank that, you know, wasn't the bank statements that we did our checks on right at the onset? It's an ongoing thing throughout the transaction now, isn't it? You know, profiling our client, you may get told something, you know, halfway through that might affect things. So I think that the whole subject matter is too big now to almost have as one. I think AML and ID checking are almost separate. I know they, they, they obviously link, but they're just too big a subject to talk about as a collective. Yeah, and but of course, you know, the casual convincing observer standing from the outside looking in is just going to say, well, why does all this take so long and aren't you conveyances rubbish? Well, actually, no, why don't you all just do one? Because we have become the gatekeepers for this stuff. That's what gets on my nerves. You know, the 
um, you know, the job has become increasingly more difficult, increasingly more risky. And frankly, you know, the government and regulatory bodies have just um, continued to sort of shovel this additional work on, on us. And it's us that has the responsibility if it goes wrong. It's us that's putting our hands in our pockets if something goes wrong. Um, and actually, frankly, as a profession, we've said, oh, all right, then. That's actually also something that gets me. But mm. I suspect that's a different chat. But you know there's a lot wrapped up in that and actually um but just to show we're slightly ahead of the curve Stu you mentioned uh you know fraud and you might remember uh back in the middle of November we did a chat um on uh, another another fraud when a sort of uh, bogus estate agent was was created and put on Zoopla for a property in Cambridge and uh and we talked about that and the chappy that um the chappy that, uh, that that was uh, the fraudster who was uh, jailed for it, and um, I noticed. Like I said we talked about that in the middle of uh, the middle of November, and I note that uh, one of the property industry um, uh, uh, publications is only reporting on it uh, today in mid December. So it's nice to know that we're still slightly ahead of the curve there, Stu. What's also vaguely interesting to me, because I know the place very well, is I don't know why Cambridge is such a hotbed for fraud because of <laughs> one of the. Um, you know, one of the, uh, it might have even been a Dreamvar property, but don't quote me on it. That was one of the big sort of property fraud uh, transactions related to a Cambridge property. So uh, so I don't know what it is about Cambridge. But um, mm-hmm. but on to more, um, uh, you know, more sort of newsy things. I just want to literally point out on the way by, there's always, you know, there's um, uh, initiatives, you know, all over the place in relation to, you um, uh, you know, home insulation, grants, whatever, whatever. And just really to point out, and you know, this won't affect conveyances directly, I hope, but there's another home insulation grant scheme, Stu, that's been announced in the last couple of weeks. Plans to introduce, you know, to fund loft insulation, cavity wall insulation and smart heating controls. The Eco Plus scheme, apparently it's uh, launching in April 2023. Um, I think the point about it for, for conveyances is firstly, watch out for changes to EPCs. And of course, if work has been done to a property since an EPC was create, you know, obtained, it's going to be necessary to get another one. But also watch out for the detail in early 2023. I think conveyances just need to look out and see if any of these grants actually attach to the property and are subject to clawback when the property is sold um, or whether That's there's the problem, isn't it? It's the yes, clawback. Yes. Um, also your local search you know you can find details of these within the local search yeah um so it is it is vitally important because obviously if you go and complete without having that covered off um you may may be the one that has to uh, repay it exactly you're the one left uh you know standing with no chair when the music stops so um so conveyances just keep an eye out for that when the detail comes out i mean we'll report on it anyway but uh but just worth kind of, I think, pointing out in passing, really. Uh, and of course, loads of loft insulation is uh, dodgy old loft insulation. Uh, you know, a lot of this, um, a lot of this, um, uh, you know, spray stuff that's been put. I'm sure you've read about it. Stu might even come across it. A lot of this uh, spray stuff that's been put into people's roofs and roof trusses um, and between, the, you know, the, the, the roof joists uh, has actually sort of solidified. And actually um, uh, rendered, I think, off the top of my head, something about 250,000 properties lenders won't now touch because this stuff is actually sort of physically damaging the structure of the property because it's so heavy and difficult to get rid of. So uh, and it's also sort of you know damaging the wood that's the physical structure of the roof. So, you know, watch out. Uh, anyway, Stu, moving on. Um, uh, a matter, I think, probably close to PCS's heart, the, uh, the buy to let market. So. Um, what, what next? 
Um, or were we not going to talk about capital gains tax and linking that to buy to lets? And you yeah. know, is is that going to have a an effect? Is it going to slow down potentially the amount that uh, or amount of properties that people might want to buy from an investment front? And of course, will we get a peak? Um, so I think the budget announced, didn't they, that the uh, there were going to be changes uh, on the allowance um, and the exempt uh, amount. Um, and from memory, was it twelve thousand three hundred to six thousand? Yeah, uh, so the current, from... yeah, absolutely. The current CGT allowance is twelve thousand three hundred pounds, you know, per um, uh, tax year. That's dropping quite heavily to six k, as you say, from April twenty twenty three, and then dropping again to three k from April twenty twenty four. And as you say, I think there might be two consequences. Maybe there might be a sort of rush of buy to let landlords looking to offload properties before the allowance drops in April. Uh, 2023 and maybe if the market's slowing down Stu uh you know maybe that maybe that little <laughs> rush of transactions might be something conveyances are quite happy with but um but again as you say that might also lead to a you know a broader slowdown in the buy to let market do we, do we, I wonder how how many people get involved in capital gains tax in terms of advising clients not obviously about tax as a general but the fact that there is that liability well, I must admit, what I've always done is obviously I, you know, have very clear blue water. I don't give accountancy advice. I'm not qualified to do so. Yeah, but on any property where it's evident that the seller doesn't live there, I've always sort of added a two liner in somewhere or other that says, you know, uh, you know, CGT could be payable. Please ensure yeah. you take appropriate accountancy advice before exchange. And of course, what three or four years ago now, the you know, the time frame for reporting and payment of CGT sort of dropped dramatically, didn't it? It's now 60 mm. days for completion, which I think caught a lot of people out. I mean, it originally went down to 30 days, but then went back up. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I have always sort of alerted, you know, buy to let an investment and sort of second second home type clients to to the, to the possibility. And uh, but basically I've sort of said, well, you know, go and get a, go and get accountants. We, we, yeah, we actually pointed out at the onset. Yeah. Um, in some of our initial letters on the sale, um, once we've completed the drafting and we've done the initial sort of bespoke uh, or no, a more of a, a common letter to our client, um, we kind of drop it in there only because we find that such a large percentage aren't actually aware of it. No, no. Um, it's not no. something that you hear massively advertised, is it? I'm not sure if a, a lay client would actually fully appreciate that it might be something they've got to pay. No, I mean, theoretically, of course, they should all have accountants because they should be declaring their buy-to-let incomes too. But uh, and I suppose the reality might be actually looking at it the other way, that actually, you know, the potential for capital gains tax, if property prices are, are, are softening and, and the market's slowing down a bit, well, actually, arguably, people that have bought property in the last two, three, four years as investments, if they decide to get rid of them, they won't, well, they won't have made a gain anyway. If they, yeah, very so, true. Um, so, so, you know. So the big, the big question I want to ask, why, as conveyances, do we get involved in the stamp duty, but we're not involved in capital gains tax? Well, of course, uh, well, there's the $64,000 question. Mm. I suppose because the CGT does link to, you know, people's income and everything else. And originally, maybe SDRT was supposed to be seen as, you know, just a a single point um, calculation, which theoretically just yeah. using the government's calculator we were supposed to be able to do. But of course, with the um, vast number of exemptions and relief and reliefs and God knows what else. It's just become incredibly complex. Yeah, I think that's what it is, isn't it? You know, you can offset a lot against it, whereas you can't with stamp duty. But I do wonder, you know, nothing would surprise me as to what might come within our remit. Well, you're, you're and, um, really nice too. You know. um, 
so the digital registration is with us, Stu. Um, it is. Came in, uh, came in on the 30th of November. The only thing I wanted to point out for firms, because um, the Landreg do have some really good sort of training products, uh, you know, their port, the Landreg has now changed its portal redesign. They're on version one. I suspect they'll be careering towards version two pretty quickly, you know, post-completion teams or people dealing with post-completion work should you know go and look it up if they haven't already but to be fair yeah yeah i think most time. firms will probably be already well akin now won't they to to do everything in this manner digitally so you know um well we reported a couple of months ago Stu, didn't we on yep. the um stamp duty land tax threshold change uh-huh um, albeit it's a little way off. So, you know, the Chancellor did sort of kick this into the long grass of, to some extent. So, but the recent reduction in limits is actually theoretically at least only supposed to be a temporary measure until 31st of March 2025. But I just really wanted, and funny enough, it actually chimes with your um, issue about sort of AML being a continuing obligation. And I think SDLT very much fits into that profile now. Um, at checking SDLT, SDLT is not a once or twice in a transaction sort of pinch point. You it's know, not, is it? It, yeah. it is at all. Not, once yeah. you've given your quote at the beginning, people think, well, we perhaps don't need to think about it till the end. You know, we're about to the completion statement. But um, so the recent threshold change should really have prompted firms to look and think, well, does this impact on any SDLT, um, you know, any SDLT that our clients are going to be paying now? But just I thought it was worth stepping back and looking slightly at the bigger picture for firms. Don't want to spend too long on over an egg, over egg it's due. But, you know, the Chancellor did in the recent budget um, uh, uh, announce that 79 million quid had been uh, earmarked over the next five years to help the revenue um, sort of take on more serious fraud and um uh, uh, you know tax fraud issues and um and clearly i think uh you know looking into sdlt and clawing back sdlt is going to be one of those obviously you know we've got lots of organizations out there whose raison d'etre is to try and get buyers to um uh, uh get their affairs looked into to, to claw sdlt back um and you know um Firms that have got the CQS accreditation have now got to comply with the, the updated CQS core practice management standards, Stu, which came into force on the 1st of May. And basically what the Law Society have done there is really increase the, um, the stamp duty land tax due diligence that you need to do throughout a file. And you have to, you know, it has to be audited. It has to be verified. And I just think the challenge for firms, actually, whether CQS firms or not, is actually as a file progresses to identify if your client's instructions change or their circumstances change, or you find out more about them, to think, well, does that impact on the SDLT? Yeah. Transaction? Oh, 100%. There's, I mean, you know, even without the changes that the government make, there needs to be, I think, for any conveyancer, let alone firms, a trigger point where they actually reevaluate the stamp duty you know you might find for example that you're going to work out stamp duty on a shared ownership and you're taking into account the rent and things like that well of course that wouldn't be made apparent at the onset when the you know quote was given perhaps and of course the, the duty may have changed may it? and and of course the client may not know that and the last thing you want to do is submit your completion statement uh, to the client for them to sort of pipe up and say well hang on a minute the quote said it was this yeah. um and of course it wasn't so you got yourself a, a sticky situation there 
Yeah, and of course it ties in with the, the firm's wider responsibilities to lenders. You know, you mustn't release the mortgage advance until you've got all the SDLT and the land registry fees that you need to complete and, and, and so on and so forth. So I just think it's even just the sort of checking, but particularly identifying, you know, when you find out more about your client, does that impact mm-hmm. on the SDLT payable? I think it's really important. Lots of firms, of course, send a, a checklist at the beginning of a transaction but I also see that lots of clients fill them in very badly. And I wonder how many firms actually review those properly and follow that up. And of course, all the stuff we're talking about here, Stu, is before we've actually lifted a finger to do any conveyancing. Oh, of course. Well, all yeah. of us, virtually all of this. Uh, we're I talking know, about exactly. None of this is actually related <laughs> to title checking, which is our job. And of course, the irony is that title checking is actually the bit that we were always supposed to do and we always did do. And that's one of the bits that's most commonly outsourced. So isn't that that's bizarre? The irony. Irony. Isn't that bizarre? That's the bit that actually is taking out another firm say, can we help you with your title checking while you do all the other crap that you've got all this responsibility for? There we go. Such <laughs> as such is the fragmentation of the conveyancing process, too. I could talk about it all day. Um, just a tiny one, really. If you are um a conveyancer or a lawyer who you know needs to think about um, ID1s and ID2s and ID3s and ID4s regularly, and you were looking uh, in the last couple of years at Practice Guide 67A that the Land Reg introduced, which were temporary um, ID changes brought about as a result of COVID, just you know tiny point, but um, Practice Guide 67A no longer exists anymore. Uh, what the Land Reg has done is sort of suck the temporary changes back into. Um, uh, into practice guide 67 now um so 67a doesn't exist anymore and i just thought actually um and what uh and do look at that if you do, do use id um uh, forms fairly frequently because actually um what the land reg has done is sort of expand and and, and now make permanent for example the non-conveyances from a number of different professions that now can verify identity so medical doctors police officers all sorts of people so you know do just have a look at that if if you know that's of interest to you but um do you think that's uh, a problem say again i think that's a problem do i expanding the amount of people that can verify id i'm never sure is a a a good thing and you know we hark back don't we to the days where we were reliant on the post office um you know certifying somebody's id and you look back now and you think oh dear how on earth did this come about because that was the most ridiculous thing ever wasn't it somebody that could be um well, a certain person could go and get a job in a post office and all of a sudden they're, they're certifying their mate's yeah. ID and stuff like that. I mean, it seems ridiculous now to think back and I kind think of feel that the prestige of, you know, completing an ID1 with our professional qualification is diluted if all of a sudden, you know, lots of other professions can't do it. I'm not maybe, you know, advocating It can be difficult them. to track those people down. I mean, at least yeah. regulated... How would you track down an individual police officer to check that they well, are? Of course, we, yeah, of course. And we, we now get the calls from the land registry, don't we? Um, you know, to say, was this you that completed it? You know, how's that going to work with other industries? You know, the medical profession that might be in the middle of Christ knows what. And How can you, you track know, down? How can you verify a registrar? How could you verify a police officer? The whole point about having, you know, regulated individuals like lawyers is we can go, you know, we can find the individual if we <laughs> to see who's done that but uh, I wonder if just, that I wonder if that will delay the land registry you know and the, the what we're going to well, go on to no doubt talk about in a minute what a segue what a perfect segue wonder whether this is the least of their worries bearing in mind dot, some, dot, of the, <laughs> some of the stats that have recently been released concerning the length of time that you know 
matters are taken to be concluded there. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, their own stats. I mean, I don't want to go on about this, but I'm going to. Um, it's difficult. We don't want to hammer the land registry. No, they're fantastic. But it is a, a problem that does, I would say, heavily now affect most conveyancing practices and a lot of clients for that matter. Yeah. Um, so and with the rising interest registry- rates, it's even worse, isn't it? Well, the land registry's own stats, transfers of part, new leases, um, average 424 days, almost all 448 days. Is that a year and a half? New yeah. housing registrations with prior estate plan approval. So they've already seen the plans, uh, 388 days, mm. so a year a year and a bit to get your... Um, and of course, um, you know, as managing client's expectation, which we've talked about before, uh, so that people understand how long these registrations are going to take is one thing. But also, and I think something I've mentioned before to you, so I won't bang on about it too much, but we all know that firms can apply using the application inquiry function to expedite a registration. We usually, you know, we understand that that includes bunging out a copy of, you know, the contract or a mortgage offer confirming an expiry date. But of course, when people are in the in the vortex and panic to try and get something expedited, mm. they must remember that that is confidential information of their clients that they're putting in the yeah, public domain by sending it to the land registry. Yeah, yeah, very careful. So, you know, don't, you know, repent at leisure sort of thing. So, um, demise of the fax machine might be happening early 2023. What's a fax machine? Sorry, I've never, <laughs> I've never heard of one. That's something which used to happen in the olden days, isn't it? Yeah, well, of course, yeah, but everybody burnt their bras. Women burnt their bras in the 60s, didn't they? Clearly, I wasn't really too young for that. Um, but, uh, and and everybody burnt their faxes. And then, of course, when we had all the cybercrime sort of issues, everyone, lots of people resurrected the use of faxes. I, I, w- I was joking. We have four fax machines in our office. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's incredible to think, you know, I, I always look at those fax machines and always say, I wonder one day when they won't be there. But the way things are going, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, just to yeah. highlight, really, that Ofcom have, have, are proposing changes that, that sort of say telecoms providers won't have won't be required to provide fax services under the universal service obligation, which basically means that it's a set of rules, meaning that the um, the phone service providers have to provide sort of stuff at a reasonable, affordable cost. Um, and um, the, the Ofcom is expecting to publish a statement in early 2023. So clearly all faxes won't be switched off the minute this gets introduced. But just to, I think firms need to be alerted to it. So if you've, if you've still got a fax machine sitting in the corner of the room that's whirring away, um, you know, think about it quite carefully. Um, so help to buy, Stu. PCS mm-hmm. does a reasonable amount of this. Um, what are it's, the changes? It's, some, it's something that when I, I don't think is getting that much publicity. Um, I know we sort of, recently read some reports from the, the, the Telegraph. But for me, you know, we, we are in the, a bit of a perfect storm with the way the economy is, the downturn in work. But nobody ever mentions help to buy finishing as, as being a big player. Um, and for me, I'm trying to think of two, I'm trying to think of something else that had, has had the same impact. Obviously, in terms of temporary, the stamp duty holiday was massive. But taking that out of the equation, you think of many other things that have had such a, a positive impact on um, the market. I'm, I'm not so sure there's been much more than help to buy. No, well, that's true. And um, I mean, basically what the government originally said, because of the, the, the time frame for making an application has now long since gone. That was the end of October. They've got to legally be completed by the 31st of March 2023. 
the government had originally said that the home builder must have finished the home by the 31st of December, which actually, you know, got quite a lot of press coverage around the possibility of leaving home buyers high and dry that might, you know, because of the because of the developer um, not finishing the home. So the government has given a little bit of wriggle room and they um, indicated uh, a few days ago, the government indicated that they're not going to enforce the first long stop date of the 31st of December 2022, as long as home builders notify the government by the 20th of December 2022 that they are able to finish building the home by 31st of Jan 2023. Um, what all I'm suggesting to conveyances is I think you're going to be under pressure if you've got help to buy transactions, review your help to buy files, um, uh, and maybe the conveyances should be making sure that, you know, they aren't in the firing line if there's a problem here because, you know, mm. we'll be the one picking up the tab, I think. Um and then just the last couple of points, Stu. Um, uh, renting in Wales. Yeah. Uh, big rental changes in Wales came into force on the 1st of December. My very simple point is that the Welsh and English uh, sort of renting and conveyancing landscapes are diverging quite dramatically. And I just think if you're an English-based lawyer now, um, uh, don't dabble in purchase, sale or purchase or rent of a Welsh property. Um, uh, or beware, because there are more changes. It's than certainly you. going that way, isn't it? It um, is. Yeah, more and more differentials that are coming into the marketplace. And I think, yeah, as we go on, um, yeah, maybe will be a policy that you, you, you don't get involved at all. Yeah. And last but not least, you, postal strikes. Postal strikes, such a simple one, isn't it, to talk about in terms of news. But actually, one of the things that really I think is now starting to have an impact um, is the postal strike. And, you know, for all the sort of digital platforms that we have and mediums upon which clients can deliver information to us is still a substantial amount that still send you know a signed contract or a signed transfer or whatever the case may be through the through the post and of course it's having a massive impact now isn't it it is um, yeah. it's so unreliable um with, with people striking and it's hard to keep up with it now isn't it um it is. you know dates right up till christmas it's very hard to you know i mean how long has this been going on for now months isn't it yeah, it is on and off, but they've, they, you know, there's a sort of we're in the middle of a, a series of postal strikes up to Christmas, probably going to go beyond. Uh, clearly, that's led to quite a lot of people talking about electronic signatures again. And probably a really good place to end this conveyance in matters chat. Then Stu is is just an absolutely, you know, flagrant um, uh, promotion of my little book on um, electronic signatures for conveyances. If you've not yet thought about it and you want to know how to um, absorb uh, practice guide eighty two into what your firm does, then uh, then uh, uh, a practical guide to electronic signatures in conveyancing might be the thing for you. But, um, well, there's lots going on there, Stu, far more than I there thought, is. actually. Um, so, uh, well, let's wish our lovely um, our lovely conveyancers, uh, you know, um, a happy and peaceful 2023. We will be doing some more chats before the end of the year, but this is the last news one. So, um, so yeah. I hope that everyone's found that useful. Definitely. Take care, everyone. Take care.